0: bater's and accelerators come in many flavors mass innovation labs is seeking to distinguish itself with its approach to providing research scientists with infrastructure comparable to what a discovery and development team might have at a mature pharmaceutical company we spoke to amrit shahuri ceo of mass innovation labs about what it does to accelerate the movement of its client companies down the path to commercialization what its track record has been and how it differs from the competition. Amit, thanks for joining
1: us. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having us.
0: We're going to talk about Mass Innovation Labs, its approach as an accelerator, and what can be done to help innovative companies overcome some of the earlier barriers to success. Let's start with terminology, though you call Mass Innovation Labs an accelerator. The industry doesn't seem to have an agreed-upon definition for accelerators versus incubators. What do you mean by that term?
1: Sure, Uh, I think that's actually a great question. Um, Mass Innovation Labs to us is a a research and development center that's geared around how do you get companies to move down the path of R&D towards commercialization with as many resources as possible, Um, as streamlined as possible and as quickly as possible. I think the term accelerator in our industry and the term incubator have many different connotations. Incubators in general are spaces developed by either pharma companies, landlords, nonprofits, or others that are designed around how do you provide a really small team, one, two, or three people, a really small amount of lab space as cheaply as possible. And there are great examples of high-quality incubators around the world, more than 100 of them, um, that do this in the life science arena, around here's a bench, here's access to some shared equipment or shared tissue culture or other type of functionality to do some proof of concept work. Um, They're usually top out uh, in terms of growth of around six months or a year of a company's development, usually proof of concept stage, not series A, series B, and they allow people to kind of get to five or six people in size. Um, accelerators have a, have a really wide range of, of, of definitions in our industry. Uh, some of them are purely financial and business development, helping you work on your business plan and getting you funded. Um, and others, like ours, are actual research and development spaces um, and everything in between. They're accelerators run by VC companies, by pharma companies. Um, in our case, we're a completely private business that is being run uh, with the concept of how do you better build biotech companies.
0: So what's the business model for you? I know some of these are are as simple as real estate plays, others are investment plays. How does Mass Innovation Labs make its money?
1: Sure. Um, So we actually are neither of those. Uh, We're not a real estate play, and we're not an investment play. Um, So we built a business around providing a single-source solution for how a company does its research and development. So effectively what we did is we we created a service organization that recreated the pharma environment, departments dedicated towards everything from your IT to construction to training the scientists, an institutional model of how high-quality research and development actually occurs in our industry and made it modularly available for a fee-for-service. Um, So companies come to us, and they design a program with us where they take a certain amount of space, we help them staff that space, we help them create the protocols, we help them resource that space around their first year to first five years of development, um, going from, you know, five people to 100 people uh, working out of different types of research settings, tissue culture labs, chemistry labs, um, you know, customized toward the type of research each research group is doing. It's just a different model for how you build a research program.
0: You yourself were an entrepreneur. What led to the launch of Mass Innovation Labs? What, what need were you trying to
1: address? Well, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, to be honest, when we started the project, we didn't know what we were building. Um, I had started a synthetic protein chemistry company in 2007, um, grew that to a substantial size, and had done a couple of pharma collaborations and a whole a host of university collaborations. And we went through clinical trials and, we got you know, we went to commercialization. And it was a really difficult process. Over the course of, I think, seven or eight years, we had four different locations, different functionality, everything from early-stage research and development to, you know, clinical manufacturing and preclinical research. Um, so, you know, I, I was, you know by the seat of my pants, you know, seeing the, the growth and development rapidly of, of research and the different resources and, and uh, environment and, and, and uh, infrastructure required to get there. Um, you know, started a couple of other companies in between in bioinformatics and other areas. I actually, the company started in 2014 as kind of a thought process. Uh, we and myself and my co-founders were just talking about what our industry needs to change to be more effective we all agree that that early-stage R&D needed a shift in big pharma. And we had all worked with either management teams or research teams at big pharma companies and discussed this at length. And so we said, hey, what's holding us back? What's holding a startup back? What's holding a mid-sized company back? How can we be more innovative, and how can we commercialize faster? And what we identified was a critical lack in, you know, really high-quality infrastructure, infrastructure and resources. How do you take a startup team and resource them and provide them infrastructure um, analogous to a big pharma company? Um, And and to be honest, there really wasn't an answer to it. The the way that we found people built companies, going off and taking 10-year leases in buildings, doing an entire construction project to build a lab, and then figuring out a way to run that and operate that and create resources like animal research facilities and things in a cost-effective, or even more importantly, in an actually research-effective manner, it was all being done ad hoc by our industry with large capital expenditures being uh, implemented in years one through five. And we said, can we just change that? Can we change that for our industry? And uh, that's kind of where our company was born.
0: What's the range of companies that are eligible
1: to be in the Accelerator, and do you have
0: any criteria on what companies you'll accept?
1: Uh, That's a great question. Um, We have a really, really wide range of both the science and the type of company we accept. So science-wise, we've had a tremendous number of immuno-oncology companies, gene editing companies, um, chemistry and small molecule companies go through our program um, we've even had battery tech, 3D printing, engineering, med device companies come through our program. So um, a really, really wide range of the science um, from a company size and type of standpoint. Um, you know, we've had a lot of startups. I think 60% of our clients have been startups. But I think more surprisingly, 40% of our companies have been uh, large-scale organizations of you know market caps between. Three and two hundred billion dollars. We've done outsourced research for uh, big pharma. Uh, we've either been the primary research site or headquarters or a satellite research site of many ten and twenty billion dollar companies. So what we're trying to invent is just a different platform that anyone can use to uh, to run research.
0: And do you
1: generally just take a, a
0: a fee, or do you ever take equity?
1: Yeah. So we're a fee for service business. Um, to be very frank, we have invested in companies, but that we, we do that kind of at an arm's length deal. It's not related to being able to come to our program or being able to access our resources. So people come in and they pay us to be a, one of our, uh, our members and clients, um, and separately we have conversations about whether it makes sense for us to co invest into the research.
0: And at what stage do you take a company on, and, and is there a point where they, by
1: definition, have
0: to graduate from the accelerator?
1: So there's no graduation, and, and that, that just basically has to do with the fact that we even work with big pharma companies, putting their internal R&D into our program. We've worked with companies that were in formation stage. So the board has come together, the investors have come together, but there isn't even a single employee in the company. We took a company there um, where the board came to us and said, we want you to help us build a 60-person company in four to five months, um, <laughs> starting, starting with the CEO. Uh, and we got there, we got there by the end of month four, they were 60 people and had raised at that point in time, more than a hundred million dollars. Um, so we, we go all the way from the absolute inception when the VCs are starting to think about companies, um, all the way through to established firms coming in.
0: On that basis, do you ever accept someone just developing a technology before there's a, a decision to
1: build a company around it? Uh, we can, in fact, um, the difficulty you're going to find is you have to be able to come with the capital to pay for the services. So if you have a spin-off project of a larger firm or a university, as long as there's capital behind it, we can help. Um, we don't do it based on a on an in-kind contribution. We don't say we'll take equity for an idea that needs some proof of concept space. So it's more difficult to do if they don't have capital. Uh, but there, you don't necessarily have to be an incorporated company.
0: Can you? Quantify some of the number of companies you've come through and what metrics you use to measure success by.
1: Sure. Um, We've historically probably had 35 to 40 different research teams uh, use our program in the last, let's call it, three and a half years. Um, We were founded in February of of 2015 is when we opened our doors um, to our space, and really our first company came in in April of 2015. So, you know, we're, we're three years young, let's call it. Um, our companies have just been wildly successful in their, in their industry. Our first 20 startups, if you want to use startups as a metric, um, have raised greater than $5.5 billion um, okay. through our program. Um, six of the 20 have gone public. Um, we have a better success rate than any incubator or accelerator in the industry. Um, and I, We're really, really proud of it because our thesis is different. We resource them and operate them differently than everybody else. Um, so we've been really, really happy. The average startup in our program has raised about $200 million, um, and I think that's uh, or over $200 million, which is a remarkable, um, yeah, remarkable number to hit. Uh, that's uh, impressive and these are companies marker. that have. Uh, but w- I yeah.
0: mean, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think you've had that, or, or the companies that have come through, have had that
1: measure of success? Um, I think that our thesis about what we're trying to provide to companies is fundamentally different than any other organization out there. Um, you know, incubators. Again, going back to that analogy, incubators are around. How do you provide a small enough space as cheaply as possible? And you know, it's it's geared toward really a very small niche of the market. Um, what we believed is our thesis was in order to get science to be successful. What do you actually need? What are your hurdles, and what resources do you need? It's not about being lean. It's about being successful and effective. And in many cases, that requires spending money at a higher rate to get access to resources that actually push your company and your science forward. So we have animal imaging in our own animal research centers. We have proteomic systems. We have high-throughput robotics. We have a host of people scientific experts and processes in place to really push the science forward. And I think that's really translated into milestones being hit, investors coming in, pharma companies investing, and the public market paying attention. It's just a completely different environment to work than really anywhere else in the world. I know
0: certainly here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we've, we've seen demand for this kind of space outstrip the supply. I, I know you've expanded in the Boston Cambridge area is there any thoughts about expanding beyond Boston Cambridge and taking this to other biotech markets
1: absolutely um, you know I think our company in the middle of a really wonderful period of growth we, we've been able to expand our footprint in Boston and we're actually looking at more than doubling um, our overall footprint in, in the next within the next year um, you know our, our major target markets in the United States are probably the Metro Boston area, San Francisco Bay Area and San Diego. Um, to be very frank, that's where kind of 70 to 80 percent of the research and development spend in the United States sits um, and it, it's you know really, really lopsided that way but it's kind of where the biotech early stage and mid-stage company have grown in our country um, so I think our next target markets are really the West Coast. We have a couple of unique projects in, um, in other markets in the United States, major urban areas, that we've looked at, and that might launch sooner than later, um, but, you know, we're looking at building a global company, uh, you know, U.S. presence, European presence, Asian presence. Uh, we're working towards that goal over the next two to three years.
0: When we started this conversation, we, we talked a bit about the remarkable variety of incubators and accelerators. What advice would you give to an entrepreneur that's looking and shopping for an accelerator and trying to find the right, what do they need to know before signing on, and, and what performance measures should they look at, what questions should they ask?
1: Well, so I think there are really three different things at hand. One is, is a traditional incubator actually going to solve your problems? Like, what is the problem that you have at hand? Do a really uh, deep analysis of what you're trying to solve for. Is it access to specific instrumentation? Is it proving out an animal research model? Is it scaling the good idea that you already have and have funding for? So identify your critical need, and then ask the next question. Do I need you know, a research program that can expand rapidly? Uh, am I gonna be 10 people in a year? Am I gonna be 100 people in a year? Um, and what are my gating items to get there? And are, if those gating items are science related, What's really going to help me solve those scientific issues and get access to the resources I need um, in order to do that in the most cost-effective and really more, more important, time-effective manner? If you have a great idea, you can always really go off and raise more money. We, we, we are very lucky right now in the next five years to be in a capital flush environment for biotech. So if you really have that truly next, next great and biggest idea, um, you should be able to sell that idea. Um, the most important thing you have is you can't get your time back. You can't get your market opportunity back. And so I think people, in general, uh, happily trade cost savings to time. And I think that's a common mistake entrepreneurs do. If someone gets you know a $10 million initial investment or a $20 million initial investment, the first thing that you know we're trained to do as scientists is think about, how do I stretch that as far as possible? Uh, it primarily because we were all trained in academic labs where we had to pinch pennies. Professors would tell, you know, their grad students, instead of spending three dollars to buy a buffer, to spend three hours to make it. <laughs> and that that was the mentality we were taught in, in training. Um, when you comes to industry and you know, when it comes to commercialization, you really have to go to the opposite end of the extreme. You have to say, what do I need to spend in order to really be successful? What resources should I invest into? to get to that next stage. And then try to find the right route to getting those resources, whether that's working with a pharma incubator like J-Labs, which is one of the best programs in the world, uh, whether that's you know, building your own program or whether that's coming to a group like ours. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really the questions you have to ask.
0: One of the benefits from being in a place like you are is you have visibility into innovation trends. What are you seeing today that excites you, and, and where do you think the life sciences industry is heading?
1: Um, wow. So, you know, we work a lot. Our companies are almost a direct reflection of what's going on in the industry. So if you take an industry trend of what's getting funded today, whether it's cancer research, whether it's gene editing, whether it's rare disease, and you map that as a chart, and you take a look at our roster the the members and clients we have, it's almost a one-to-one correlation. So we we get to see a lot of really cool stuff. Um, You know, in that context, immuno-oncology is remarkably exciting today, more so than it's ever been. Uh, With PDL ones and checkpoint inhibitors and other things that have been the last generation of immuno-oncology moving towards personalized cancer vaccines, um, new bivalent conjugates to to create TCR response, Um, you know, we are working on highly potential areas of, of oncology treatments that are now collaborating with academics and pharma to go after a wide variety of, 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 uh, of indications. And, and we've had, to be very fortunate, some of the world's leading personalized medicine and immuno-oncology companies coming out of our program, companies like Q-Biopharma and Gritstone Oncology and TCR squared and Oncaris, um really well-capitalized, well-funded, cutting-edge science. Um, we We are uniquely privileged to have both hosted and founded uh, being the founding space for CRISPR Therapeutics, and also the the growth space for Editas medicine. So from a gene editing perspective, we are literally at the uh, at the forefront of seeing what what was cutting edge in this last three years and how that's grown, and i'm I'm personally a huge believer in the the power of those tools to to actually change many disease areas, everything from cancer through everything ocular research, you know, sickle cell, diabetes. I think that companies are running into, you know, the the growing pains of being a brand-new technology with brand-new implementation and delivery systems. You know, hearing the Vertex News with CRISPR and the FDA hold this week um, through different things happening uh, on that side. But I think these are solvable problems. I think it's going to take time, energy, and effort to get through that. And once we learn the best delivery systems and the best way of utilizing these technologies, I think they can be transformative. Personalized medicine, I, I'm going to use the example of Gridstone Oncology. Um, I think that just really, really gets me excited. Um, the idea that they can take a patient biopsy using their proprietary sequencing and predictive algorithm methodology. They, use, they literally use machine learning and AI to then create a predictive drug, a cocktail of drugs, that they can then individually manufacture to give to a patient in a remarkably short time frame as personalized cancer vaccines. I, I think that no one disagrees. That's the future. Being able to target uniquely each and individual, uh, each and everybody's individualized uh, disease in that model, I think, is the future of where medicine is going. And it's exciting seeing kind of the first round of pioneering companies developing it.
0: Robert Shapurry, CEO of Mass Innovation Labs. Amit, thanks so much for your time today.
1: No, my pleasure, and thank you again for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.